Greetings once again, Retreat Church, and all those visiting us today online. Have you ever um, noticed that people, including like yourself and myself, that we have a lot of answers to the question why before we even go look for any answers or even ask the question ourselves? It's like we have a lot of assumed answers to why things take place or even why we do things. One of the <laughs> one thing sometimes that's uh, kind of interesting to do, but uh, maybe a little bit challenging, is to ask your spouse why she or he thinks you do what you do. You know, it, sometimes we have these habits, we have these things, we have ideas, we have concepts, we have reasons, we have all these things that, that we kind of naturally do and we don't even like know why we do them. And sometimes we get in these situations where we need to pause for a second and say, you know, I wonder why I do that. You know, I, it's obvious that I do, but why do I? Or why don't I? Why don't we do certain things? I know we're at the beginning of the year where a lot of people have um, New Year's resolutions, new goals, new things like that. And um, have you ever asked yourself um, why we do that? <laughs> you know, um, do you ever ask yourself why most of these resolutions um, are done away with or ignored before we even get to the end of the first month? I mean, why, why do we do these sort of things, you know? And then an even harder question to kind of ask is, is like, why God? Man, that that goes way beyond, I think, what you and I might um, discover about ourselves when we're asking the question, why? But in order for us to really follow God, I think that that why question um, needs to be asked, but it also needs to be asked in such a way that we're open to the answers that God gives us in His Word. And Sometimes those answers are complicated. Um, sometimes those answers are not what we wanted. Um, sometimes those answers are kind of beyond us a little bit. And so um, it gets very tricky when we start asking God this question of why. And the question that we're asking him during this series is why the church? Why, why did God do this? Why did God create what he calls the body of Christ? Why? Um, did God create this group um, that is described by the Greek word ekklesia um, called out? You know, and I know that right now we're dealing with so many different things. I think the church, um, church leaders, and and those that participate are being forced to ask the question: Why are we doing this in the first place? You know, I'm sure a lot of people have asked you, "Why are you attending church in the middle of a pandemic?" or "Why are you not?" <laughs> attending church when it's so needed and when the gospel needs to be preached and we need to be fed and experienced and we need to be together. And so we've got this political turmoil, racial racial unrest, we have a pandemic, we have all these things going on and church leaders across the world right now are asking themselves, you know, these questions of, well, what is really important about why the church exists? Is it, we're supposed to be in a building? Um, is it okay that we're Many churches are meeting online only. Um, well, what about outside services in the middle of winter or, you know, these kinds of things? And so all of these questions are kind of forcing us to kind of get back to this question of why God instituted the church in the first place. And what's really amazing about this and what's really wonderful is that God is going to give us such deep, meaningful answers that all of the other answers to why, maybe why I go to church or why you go to church or why you don't, 
go to church or why, to be honest, as a pastor, sometimes I don't want to go to church, you know, just being really transparent with you. But when we look at God's reasons, God's reasons for instituting the church are, are much bigger than ours, much bigger than, than us, and they, they stretch us. And so we're diving into this series called Our Why, and today what we're looking at is that God founded the church to display His wisdom. Now, as I say that, a lot of things are prompting, prompted in your mind, I'm sure. Some of you maybe reflect back on a negative church experience. You go, well, that wasn't wise. <laughs> you know, that was quite foolish or quite hurtful. Um, some of you um, look at maybe some of the ways churches spend money, and you go, well, that's obviously not wise. Um, but God's wisdom. And we're going to look at that today because the church does. Let's admit that the people that make up the church, me and you, we do a lot of things that are, that are not wise. <laughs> We've made a lot of key mistakes and uh, we do a lot of foolish things at times. Um, but remember, our why is not necessarily always God's why. And that's when a shift needs to take place. And we need to exchange some of our less meaningful whys and get on in line with, with God's why. And so that's kind of the goal for this message. And when we look at this, is that the goal that God had was he wanted to display his wisdom. Now let's unpack that a little bit. In a passage in Ephesians chapter 3, um, verses 8 through 10. Let's look at those together where Paul writes. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, the front end of that text is pretty basic. The back end of that text is going to take some, take some doing to, to get a hold of. And so the first thing that we come away with understanding in this text right away is that the wisdom of God is displayed through the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, what are those? What, what are the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, they're discovered all throughout the New Testament and even um, sections of the Old Testament. But there's a couple passages, I think, among many that will help us get a handle on what exactly those are. And the first one is this, a passage in the same book in Ephesians, just a couple chapters earlier, in Paul's introduction to his letter to the Ephesian church, he writes in verses 7 through 14 of chapter 1, he says this, in him being in Jesus. Okay? We have redemption through his blood. There's the first riches of Christ. We have redemption in through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Here's another one, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance and have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, a fun exercise for you to do with this text is to take Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, and open your Bibles and just simply underline or highlight any word or phrase that would point out to you one of the many riches of Christ. And as the church focuses on these, and as the church exemplifies these as a collective called out body in ecclesia, we will begin to display the wisdom of God. And you could take each one of those words or phrases that you underline, and you could take those and you could say the wisdom of God is shown in. For example, the wisdom of God is displayed in redemption through the blood of Christ. Wisdom of God is seen in the forgiveness of our trespasses. And as we embrace all of these riches that are found in Christ, as we come together and find ourselves and our purpose for being together in them, that when we say we are a body of Christ and we answer the question of, well, why do you participate in this ecclesia? Why do you participate in this body of Christ? Why is the gathering of the people of God so very important? It is because we find ourselves in need of all of these things. And I'm wondering how many times you and I, when we say why I do go to church or why I don't go to church, we mention any of these whatsoever. Or if it's about something else, if if you're, you're going to a church based on the personality of a pastor or um, the way a building lays out or the t style of music or the the, the offering, the way the offerings are, are, not, are not taken, um, a certain philosophical or theological perspective. You, know, you start looking at all the reasons why. I haven't actually heard um, one person, they wanted to go to a specific church and they, they really enjoyed their visit at a specific church because the carpet in the nursery was squishy. I'm, I'm not joking you, but that's what they told me. I, I don't know what my face told them. I think I just smiled and said, I'm glad you enjoyed your visit at that church, but I'm wondering how, because sometimes I'm very transparent, my face probably went something like, are you kidding me? That, that That's what you remember when I asked you, why did you enjoy that time at that church? You said, well, I really enjoyed the squishiness of the carpet in the, in the nursery. That's not in this text. <laughs> Those squishy carpet's amazing, um, especially if you're a little girl or boy and you fall down. A squishy carpet can be great, but squishy carpet is not a reason for which church we may or may not attend. And so the riches of God are displayed, and it is then seen the wisdom of God in these. And this is one of the major reasons why God has founded the church and formed a body, was to display his wisdom through the riches of Christ. Peter also helps us understand this in kind of summary form, where Paul gives us these long lists. Peter gives us his summary in just one verse. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his whole into his glory and excellence so we participate in the church and we see the wisdom of god because in christ we have everything that pertains to life and to godliness every issue that we might face every struggle that we might encounter it is all summed up, and we find resource in the person of Christ, all we need to live a holy and godly life, a righteous life in Christ before God, we find in the person of Jesus Christ. And so moving on from there, we discover that God also is doing something else that Paul is talking about in this text. Another way of displaying God's wisdom is this, that it, his wisdom is displayed in the unification of his people. 
Now, I don't need to remind you, um, because it's all in front of us, it's, it's before our faces continually, of the division that is in our country. It was on display once again just a couple days ago, this craziness that erupts because of the disunity and the anger and the frustration of, of once again a group of people not receiving what they had hoped to receive, not receiving what they thought was rightfully theirs, and then we get this eruption and this craziness, and of course we have people on the fringes of both issues and making a mess of everything where a majority of people in our country I think are pretty sensible, the majority of our people um, in our country can sit down and have a logical um, a conversation about the issues that we face today as a country and as a people. Uh, but there are people on the fringe that seem to get all the attention, that seem to create chaos and really ruin it for everybody else that actually is adult enough to sit down and to have a peaceful conversation. But when you look at this, God says he's going to display his wisdom and the unification of his people. Look at verse 9 of our text in Ephesians 3. He says this, And bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Now, what is that mystery? What is Paul talking about? Well, earlier on, he tells us in verse 6, just a few verses before our text for our message today. Verse 6, he says, This is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of of Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, the mystery has been this. How is God going to unify Jews and Gentiles? No one ever knew. As God was working throughout the Old Testament, you see that God's plan all along was to to build up the nation of Israel to bless all other nations. That was part of his promise to, um, to Abram in Genesis chapter 3, again in 12 and again in 17, where it was always to raise up the nation of Israel to bless the whole world, and the blessing was going to be the arrival of the Messiah and all of the riches that were found in Christ. But people, as people are, the people of God began to be arrogant, be able to think that everybody outside of the nation of Israel was subhuman, were outside of the plan of God, and that really carried for much of the biblical history leading up to the New Testament, and where God now is saying that it is through Christ and through the unification of the Jew and the Gentile, which would now form a new people, which we call the church. So the church doesn't replace Israel. The church doesn't somehow become more important than Israel. But the church is this unification of Jew and Gentile, unification of people coming together that were throughout their entire histories separated for the most part, and then brought together in Christ. And it is the church that is to display that unity. And I believe that it is so very, very important today when we start talking about, well, why should I participate in the local church? Why would God even found such an entity called the church? I think it's pretty obvious today that we have a unity problem, that people in and of themselves cannot get involved with one another in a peaceful way, in a consistent way, as a whole, as a whole. I think we have a human problem. I've been saying this for the last couple of years as we've encountered various things going on in our culture, dealing with race and politics and religion and those things. We have a human problem. It is a 
problem of the heart of the human, that the heart of the human is fallen. The biblical worldview explains that very well, that the heart of humanity is broken and fallen, and when we reject God and we ignore his word, the natural result of that is what we're seeing in our country today. And so what we need is a return to a biblical worldview that such that brings the wisdom of God together and displays the wisdom of God. And this time that we live in is another time in history. There have been many. There have been this is there is nothing new going on right now, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is not new. This is not rare. This is not uncommon. This is not unforeseen. This is the natural result and it's happened time and time and time again in our history. But for some reason we are held captive by the moment. And we want to believe that this is somehow the worst or somehow um, a rare and we need to get back to something or we need to get back to a normal or all of these things. But what we really need to do is get to the real reason and the purpose for which God founded the church. And that is to display his wisdom through the riches of Christ and the unification of God's people within those within those riches. So when we look at this reason why that God says, I'm going to found a body, found a church, I'm going to call people out of the world and together into this unity based upon the riches of Christ. And we're going, he said that it is in that, that is he, he is going to, he is going to display his wisdom. Now, this is when it gets a little tricky. Notice what he says here in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. Well, who is that? Well, a study of scripture would tell us that that, that those people, um, excuse me, those, those um, created beings, they're not humans, that those created beings are, in summary, would be angels, both, both good and bad that God is displaying to the angels and what we would now call fallen angels or demons. He's displaying his wisdom. It is as though God is saying, watch what I do with humanity. Watch what I bring together out of these two people that are always separate. Watch as I bring them together and make them one body. And God displays his wisdom to the heavenly beings, to the heavenly um, powers, which is the angels, both fallen and what we would call um, ministers of God's spirit that minister to us today. And for us, we're thinking, and this kind of really twists us up in knots, doesn't it? Because we're thinking, oh, we're going to display the wisdom of God to the people that disagree with us. That's what we're doing, that we're right and they're wrong. And we read the Bible and we discover, and we get to tell them how wrong they are. And we can tell all the people that disagree with us that we're right and see God's wisdom is here and the church is here so that we can look at other people and say, you're wrong, I'm right. And that's not what God is saying in this text at all. What God is saying in this text is that he is putting together humanity within the riches of Christ. And as we together focus on the riches of Christ, he displays to the angels. And I know that you're thinking to yourself, what in the wide world does that have to do with anything? Later on in the book of Ephesians, we learn this. We learn that it is the enemy, Satan, that we're fighting against, isn't it? What we need to wear the armor of God. For what? To fight amongst each other? No. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the unseen world. 
You see, ladies and gentlemen, what we have on our hands today is a spiritual problem. I know that many people want to think that it's an economic problem. Many people want to think that it's a problem of politics. Many people want to think it's a, it's a problem of, of money or of um, race. And it's really a spiritual problem. But you and I are broken in our hearts. And our world has rebelled against God. Humanity has rebelled against God. And what we have is a spiritual problem. And what we need are the riches of Christ. We need forgiveness. We need healing. We need cleansing. And we need to enter together into this unity within the riches of Christ. And it is only then when humanity will be whole. It is only then when humanity will get along. It is only then when we will experience the peace of God. And so the challenge for us becomes this. Is your participation in the church or lack of it based upon the purposes of God displaying his wisdom through the riches of Christ? So if someone came and said, why do you go to church? Well, because the carpet's squishy, <laughs> or I like the pastor, or the music is great, or they have a lot of things going on for, for people like me. I, I can go be with people like me. Those aren't reasons to go to church. Those aren't reasons at all. The two reasons that we've looked at so far is last week we looked at the reason that God is forming a community based upon the identity of Jesus. Not the superhero pastor, not the squishy carpet, not a style, not a flavor, not because they have nice coffee or not so nice coffee in before the church. But the reason is that he is forming a people based upon the identity of Christ. And second of all, he is displaying his wisdom to our own enemy, that the enemy that's fighting against us continually, Satan himself, and the powers that be, that God is displaying his wisdom through you and me. It's called the church. And so I think it's time for us, ladies and gentlemen, to get on board with God and to have solid reasons for participating in the ministry of a local church. It is God's avenue. It is God's um, means by which to reach a lost and broken world. And when you are choosing not to participate in that, you are choosing to set yourself aside from the avenue in which God is reaching the world. And so I pray that you will search your heart. And before answering the question, why you attend church or why you don't, you would take some time in your life and you will go back and you will look and say, well, why did God do that in the first place? And then maybe as you look at God's why, may God's why become our why. God bless you. We'll see you next time.